Hey folks, Brian here with a quick announcement before this week's show. Like I said last week, we are giving away two copies of the Dark Knight's Death Metal soundtrack on vinyl, courtesy of Loma Vista Records. Just tweet at DC3Cast with your favorite song that mentions a DC superhero. We've got a bunch of really fun entries so far, so please keep them coming, and we will draw the prize next week. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me as always is Zach. Joining us this week for the recently deceased Vince is our friend <laughs> oh, Alexander no. Jones. It's been a while. Alexander, how are you? Good, good. How are you guys doing? We are doing well. We are happy to be here. Now, Vince is not dead. He's on vacation. Um, at getting mad at me for making jokes in Lad's chat, but that's what happens. Um, anyway, we are going to talk about the books being released on the 17th of August in just a few minutes. But first, there there's some big DC stuff that happened sort of over the weekend and, and, and the day we're recording this. We're recording this on uh, August 9th. And today, James Tynan IV announced that he is wrapping up his time on Batman and the Joker relatively soon. And he's going to be doing creator-owned work pretty much exclusively. He said he has not ruled out a DC project here or there but he wants his, quote, day job to be creator on stuff. And he's going to be shifting a lot of that over to Substack, the um, email newsletter system that was a very popular spot for music journalists earlier this year and then saw a mass exodus of folks from Substack because of some... Uh, I never know how to say this. It seemed like they were okay with having some people maybe spreading some hate speech on their platform and we're not taking action to stop that. So a lot of the writers that I had been subscribed to on Substack have left the platform. However, it seems like there is a new wave of folks coming into it. And so maybe they've changed some of their practices. Maybe people have just learned to be okay with hate speech. I don't really know, but let's leave the politics out of it for now. What do you guys think about Substack as a platform for comics? Because, you know, I the only Substacks, Substacks I subscribe to are like newsletters, their essays and whatnot. How do you guys see this as a potential comics medium? Um, I mean, I guess it'll be fine. Um, it'll be it'll be weird to see like what kind of format they come through. Like, is it just going to be like, you get a newsletter format thing that just has the comic in it and you just like scroll through it almost like a comic strip type thing. Not, not like the pay. I don't think the pages will be strip like, but you know, um, not like a left to right reading experience like you're scrolling down through the pages in the newsletter and that's the only way to read it will it be like a pdf or like a, another file type that's shared separately will these ever be collected in any way you know what do they just sit in your email inbox forever um so Tanya answered a couple of those questions, but okay. I, so I, I will I will get to that in a second. But I want to hear Alexander's initial thoughts before we get to to that. 
You know, I am actually like kind of in favor of this because I just think there's a huge issue with the way comics are distributed right now. Um, you know, I'm always trying to get my friends and like other people to read comics, but I just think it's so hard because of, um, you know, like the, the pricing. I, ju I just think it kind of pushes people away. So I think any new type of, of distribution that really could, could help the, the industry, uh, I, I, I just think that we need to kind of, you know, be there to encourage that, um, you know, because I just think that the Wednesday readers are, are still going to be around and this just has the potential to, you know, make other people interested in the platform. Like, especially Brian, with what you were saying earlier with like some of the exposure with people, um, you know, being familiar with this who aren't, uh, you know, your typical comic book reader. I mean, those people are going to see, there's a chance that maybe some of them are going to read, you know, this James Tynion title, which, you know, I'm sure we'll have some, which will likely be of some quality here. And, you know, maybe we can convert people, you know, more towards comics. I mean, I definitely think that this has some potential. It's just like, it seems like whenever we have like motion comics that they just don't catch on right away. So we'll just have to kind of, I think, keep a close eye on this, especially with, you know, some of the talent already being, um, you know, at such, such a high level already. I mean, this is definitely something to keep an eye out and I think be cautiously optimistic for. Oh, are these are these going to be motion comics? No, I don't believe so. At least not. I don't think all of them are. Um, Maybe some. Um, so I, we should also mention though that that uh, Saladin Ahmed and uh, Molly Knox Osterlag, Ostertag rather, and Jonathan Hickman and Scott Snyder all announced some sort of Substack thing yeah. today. And the so, Hickman one also has. Rom V, Al Ewing, Mike Huddleston, yeah. Mike Del Mundo, and Teeny Howard attached. So yeah. basically, the X books. The X books, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite spots in Marvel right now. So, yeah. yeah. Did you guys read Hickman's like essay about this? No, I didn't even see it. So yeah. Hick Hickman said that when everything shut down last spring okay i saw some of those quotes yeah, yeah okay. so he, he had said that he had made a plan to take the marvel x books all digital and that when that didn't need to happen he was secretly bummed out because he kind of came up with a plan that he liked but what's the craziest part to me about all of this is that the hickman book so it, it, it's it looks like it's going to be at least one book if not multiple books initially but the co-writers are not doing the thing like they're not co-writing issues what he did was he gave al ewing the task of designing the various religions for this world teeny howard created a magic system for the world and rom again x-men <laughs> and rom v created a both black and white economic markets for the universe so like I I just I've never seen anything like that before, and you know I, I think all three of us are pretty big Hickman nerds. So like that's something I would consider signing up for because it just seems so unusual and different. That said, I think it was Zach that said it in in the DC Three Lads chat today. Like Hickman is somebody who was notoriously late with all of his books. So mm -hmm. like it's one thing to pay for a comic when it comes out. It's another thing to pay a monthly fee for a comic if that comic never comes out. Right. So I feel like. Yeah that's going to be an issue here and you know well um i did see i did see in like one some of the articles talking about like hickman stuff specifically that it sounds like 
it sounds like Hickman, Hickman's thing is almost more like a platform or like a universe that he's building and all of these creators can come in and just release chunks of it whenever they feel like so it mm-hmm. it it sounds like he's almost like building it with the fact in mind that he will probably only release like four chapters himself a year or something like that you know <laughs> right, and like right. he's bringing in all these collaborators to do the bulk of the you know the content i guess um i mean that's definitely how the x-men books have have operated for like the large part i mean yeah he's you know he's been writing what like the main x-men book and like some special one shots but you know he's not even writing that um main x-men title anymore and right we've been waiting i don't know how long <laughs> for for him to come back so i mean i i guess maybe with like this release schedule if it's not monthly um you know the hickman books always tend to be like have a lot of lore and it sounds like you know based on what brian's saying this isn't going to be like any kind of exception so maybe if they just kind of do what they're doing with the x-men books and release them with a steady stream it'll be easier to kind of like keep you know the pace and and the vibe of the world you know just as as a reader because this does kind of sound like maybe a big ask um to get invested in at least at first right yeah you know, you know what this really feels like to to me, and I kind of I mentioned this in chat earlier. Um, this whole setup makes me think of like different streaming services, like the streaming service war that we're kind of moving into, mm-hmm. where you have content siloed into these separate subscription fees, and and you know what you're going to get in each one. So like. I'm going to subscribe to Hickman and I'll get all of the Hickman content. But then also if I want to read Tinyan, okay, I'll subscribe to the Tinyan content and I get all of his books for a, for a fee. And then, you know, whoever else comes along and, and like Alexander, you were talking about kind of like price pricing out and different pricing models and things. I I do think that overall, this is going to be a lot more reasonable cost effective you know, reasonably cost effective, but I can also see like it getting very expensive very quickly, mm-hmm. depending on how many creators you you want to support. And also, I I think it's going to depend on how much stuff. Like for instance, Hickman said that the first hundred people to subscribe to his thing are going to get an ash can that will only be printed once. Wow. There's a hundred copies, and that's it. And there's enough speculators out there that those folks may, you know, sign up and then this is going to be a huge eBay item, right? And so when creators are making these limited edition things as part of these levels, they're going to rise, they're going to raise, people are going to feel like they need to pay more than they probably actually do. Mm-hmm. Like there should be a tier that's just the comics and that's it. Because I think for most of us, it's all we want, but I think all of us, are closet collectors and want to have more stuff. And I, I wonder if if we're going to we want to pay. I guess what I'm saying here is I, I don't mind paying creators directly for their comics. What I do mind is paying more than the fair rate for the comics when I'm not getting as many as many comics in return. Like, yeah. I want to pay for the comics. I don't want to pay for the other stuff. Which it, it seems like that exists at least like between the the Hickman and the Tanyan tier list, which I think are the only ones that we've seen so far. Has Tanyan released a tier list? Did I not see that? Yeah. It, it's the same as Hickman's, I think. It's like $8 a month, or you can do $80 a year, 
or there's like a founder's level that's $250 for the year. Um, and it sounds like the founder's one is the one that comes with some of that, like, you know, the really like rare, yeah, more speculatory stuff, collector stuff. I don't want any fucking NFTs either. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it seems like if you just do like the the monthly tier, or if you do, you can do subscribe that for a year to get like a small discount, and that gets you essentially everything except for the crazy stuff. Um, and I think Tynan is even maybe throwing in some physical stuff with the the lower tiers. I'm not sure. It kind of seemed like that. I think what I'm kind of hoping for with this is that it'll have enough exposure to enough people maybe eventually that, you know, if we get a couple million people potentially, you know, reading this and, and paying for this, you know, this could be like a more sustainable business model than monthly comics because there's only so many people who are reading them. And I know that like we are way far off from anything like that happening, but that's kind of what I'm hoping that we're shifting towards eventually. Well, so here's something that was discussed in the Multiversity Slack. We're, we're talking about all the different ways that we communicate without the listeners right now, which is really great radio. <laughs> but uh, in the Multiversity Slack that we were talking about how, you know, on one hand, I think that this is great for someone like Tanya or Hickman, people who have made their name as a creator and can now branch off and do something that is more beneficial to them, right? But the problem is until DC and Marvel change their practices there will always be the young hungry person to come up and be treated like shit by a big publisher and then that person will eventually get big enough and launch something like this but then there's that next like there's there's always gonna be the next wave of people who are going to be part of the system that isn't necessarily beneficial to them and i kind of wish there was a way to attack that system and to make the system more fair for everybody so that people wouldn't have to do this like it's crazy to me that, I mean, I'm the, I'm the oldest of the bunch here. I've been reading comics since the mid eighties. I was a little, little kid when I started reading comics, but like when image came about, it was this idea of like, there's no shackles on us anymore. Images freedom. And that kind of lasted until this past decade or so. And then all of a sudden, even owning your own comic and having somebody else just pay for the publishing of it, even that became too onerous on a creator and they had to go to this new model, whether it's a Kickstarter model or, you know, the Substack model or um, the Patreon model. Right. It just seems like I feel I feel like there needs to be a a bigger disruption at the publisher level to level the playing field or else this is always going to be the playground of the established creator. And I just don't know for how much longer how can I say this? I mean, I, I think eventually the, the, the wallet goes dry, right? Like, I think that for Hickman, for Tynion, people will shell out the seven or eight bucks a month. I think for almost any other creators out there that are be, that are below their level, I don't know if this is going to necessarily be a financial benefit to them or if they'd be better off working in the DC Marvel system. It's just, it's just a very, very, we don't know enough yet, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I fear that this is going to lead to just the marginalization of more creators, essentially. I agree with that, like 100%. I am very concerned about the fact that DC and Marvel are having trouble 
keeping this talent. Um, I think that we should be really alarmed about that. And, and like you're saying, like the Substack can't just be a place for like the comic book elites to like, you know, reap all the rewards. Like there, the, the playing field definitely has to be more even. And it's just, it's so concerning to me right now. I mean, especially because the news just broke today, but still. Yeah, I, I feel like there are only a handful of creators who can sustain or, you know, for, that this is a, a model that they can really take advantage of. Maybe, maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's not true. I don't know. I, I think some people are really good at monetizing their their wares. Like, there's an artist who I'm a big fan of who's done some uh, 2018 stuff. Her name is Liana Kangas. And she had a Patreon like before a lot of comic creators I knew had Patreons. And she seems to be doing really well with that. But she's not like a household name, but she's just, she hustles and she has a really good platform there. I I think that for some people, it's just they don't have like, Hickman does not do anything Hickman doesn't want to do, right? So like, if he wasn't at the level he's at, he could never drum up the interest for something like this. And I just feel like it's going to lead to, like you said, Zach, like just very few creators being able to really do this. I, I could totally see like a future where, big two comics is just like the proving grounds you know that's yeah. where all of the up-and-coming talent cuts their teeth and then if they're able to gain a significant following then they move into something like this which i kind of feel like image was already that you know for a while but a lot of people would still do image stuff or you know and create our own and then big two stuff but I feel like this opens up an avenue for like, you know, all of the big talent kind of gravitates to this sort of model, which is actually kind of cool, I think, because it means like Marvel and DC really have to actively seek out new talent. And that's something that we've complained about, especially at DC for like ever. So, right. Right. Um, I don't know. Can't, I can't wait to sign up for Dan Jurgens's Substack. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> you you get the you get the like uh the in universe version of the blue beetle vlogs or whatever Is it, he's an influencer now right blue beetle isn't that a thing yeah yeah okay. can you imagine like what dan jurgens creator own stuff would look like these days it actually might be pretty cool if he if he drew it too i actually might subscribe to that we'll see <laughs> it's truly a brave new world um but, but let's let's briefly wrap this up by talking about the fact that because of this, James Tynion is wrapping up his run on Batman as of November and his run on the Joker as of April. He said that the DC versus uh, Vampires event that he plotted is still happening and he'll still be involved like on an editorial level at that. And that Nice House in the Lake is going to obviously finish his 12-issue run. And it seems like there might be more Nice House in the Lake to, to go forward. But... Um, you know, his Batman run has been, I mean, really, really good. Zach, I know you and I are probably higher on it than Vince is. I'm interested to hear where Alexander falls on it in a second. But, you know, it's been a, I think it's been a very consistent run. I think he's brought in a ton of interesting new characters to the run that have all sort of landed in their own little corner. We're going to talk about one of them later on tonight. Um, but Alexander, what do you think of Tynion's Bat run thus far it's been really interesting i mean i felt like for the longest time we were just waiting on that book for kind of anything to happen when, when it first came out 
And it like, to me, it seemed like right after Joker War, all of a sudden we got all like a flood of new characters and it just sort of like invigorated this book. And it just kind of kept like bringing more, more pieces and, and more factors in. And I wonder, um, well, actually I, I recently heard James Tiny on, on uh, Word Balloon and um, he was actually talking about how he didn't plot Batman quite as meticulously until he thought he was going to be on the book longer. And then it just seemed like that, you know, um, right when Punchline started to come out and, and, and Clown Hunter and that he's really kept up that momentum. And it's so funny, even though he wasn't like directly involved with Future State, the plotting of, of Future State really has made um, you know, Batman cement itself for me as one of like the best books DC is publishing. And because I feel like we're like at like this point with that title, you know, the fact that um, Tinyan isn't going to finish, uh, you know, that world he created is just, uh, it, it, it really should be like a wake up call here. Like, you know, if we're losing a talent at that level, like in their prime, what does that say about like how DC is treating their talent? And I just think we should be a little bit concerned that this could happen again at any moment. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's an interesting point. Go ahead, I, Zach. I, well, I was just gonna say, I, I I don't necessarily get the impression from like what Tanyan said that he, um, you know, was having a bad time at DC. It just kind of seems like he thinks he could have an even better time doing his own thing um which you know not not to say that like yeah dc definitely could treat their talent better for sure um but i i kind of think that like tanyan sees that this is just like a good opportunity for him and and it is kind of weird how like you know his his success on the batman book has kind of just been a surprise in and of itself you know he wasn't supposed to be on the book past 100 and then everything changed and he he kind of blew up he he reinvigorated the bat line he like raised his star significantly not that he wasn't already like a well-regarded writer but i feel like now more than ever and so it i'm i'm kind of worried about where they go after him i i kind of see like a few different scenarios like i really want to continue like exploring some of the, the these characters and threads that he's laid down but at the same time i, I kind of worry about passing them on to new creators or to different creators um and still maintaining some of that spark um i guess the other option is would, would be to give it an, to a new creator and just kind of let them do their own thing which is, is maybe maybe for the best but i like i said i i would be really sad to see some of this momentum to be lost kind of prematurely so um i was thinking about this as a potential um uh reader poll for multiversity for friday of sort of like who you think is going to take over the book and i feel like there's a couple of options that i think make a lot of sense when you take a step back first is brian bendis we know that bendis has wanted to do a a, a, uh, a longer bat book than he did on Batman universe for Walmart. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's although, you know, if rumors are, are true and Bendis is being somewhat phased out of DC, I don't know. Although this would be probably a thing to pull him back in if that was the case. Um, I think that uh, Sam Johns, who has been co-writing some stuff with 
um Tynion, he's been doing the the punchline backups right zach mm-hmm. i think yeah yeah i think that's a very like back in the day scott snyder and james Tynion used to write stuff together and then snyder moved on and Tynion took over so i feel like that's something that i could see happening and the other person who seems to be sort of the 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 boy at the side of of Ty- the 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 robin at the side of Tynion's batman lately has been matthew rosenberg he's got a lot of work at dc and so I think he might be a logical choice to take over as well. Um, do you guys have any sort of like dark horse candidates you want to throw out there? Um, I wanted to riff on the Matthew Rosenberg thing, as I talked about on last week's episode, how I think he is like being groomed as the Wildstorm boy. Yes. Um, which that stuff has been very closely tied into DC stuff. So yeah, who, who knows about that? Um, I think Chip Zdarsky could be a, Oh yeah, a pick in addition to the ones that you mentioned, um, especially coming off of that Red Hood story, um, and that would be a pretty big get for DC. I think like that that's like a name that's high profile enough to follow up Tynion and not really lose a lot of momentum. Um, it'd be pretty crazy. wild if he was writing Batman and Daredevil at the same time. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> What's pretty crazy about that is that Zdarsky's stuff at DC so far has been that Red Hood story in the anthology and then that Justice League Last Ride book that I can't I don't know anyone who cares about. No offense yeah. to the book, but like it's just it's not like a big title. So it's right. weird they brought in this big writer and didn't give him a big title. Mm-hmm. So that that makes a lot of sense. Alexander, is anybody else you think has uh, a potential? He's not quite positioned in the right place, but sooner or later we definitely need like a Batman run from Tom Taylor. That is true as well. Oh, you know what? Tom Taylor just mentioned on Instagram today that he has like oh. a dream project coming up with like a, a big artist. What what if it's Batman? Oof. I thought you were going to say for a second, Joshua Williamson. That would be cool. Because he's a guy who DC is obviously very high on right now. And he's not doing a time. I mean, he's doing the Robin book and he's doing the Deathstroke book. It wouldn't it wouldn't shock me to see him do a Batman book too. It would also be really, really cool if we could bring in like Ram V. But again, I just think maybe he has too much responsibility at DC right now already. And maybe his name isn't high profile enough, but I just think that would be like an amazing run. I don't disagree with that. I wonder how much time Tynion, how much notice he gave them, right? Have they known this is coming for a while? Or are we gonna get like you know, three issues of Jurgens or of, um, you know, in, insert fill in writer here uh, until we get a, 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 you know, a new, a new creator on the book. Interesting though. Those are all interesting options. Yeah. Um, are there, I'm trying to think if there are like any like non male creators who, <laughs> who could be in the wings. To I mean, the book. Marguerite Bennett hasn't done anything at DC in a while. Yeah. Uh, although, didn't she just do, was it the Batgirl story in mm-hmm. Urban Legends last week? I think that was, I thought Cecil Castellucci was doing. Uh, I think I'm going to look this up as we talk. She, but... she did an Oracle story. She did. Um, I mean, I obviously agree. It would be nice to have. Uh, you know who we didn't even say? We didn't even say John Ridley. Oh. Yeah, but he's doing I Am Batman. But what if that becomes the Batman title? 
I mean, it could, I guess. Do you remember a couple of years ago at Marvel when it was like all the rage to do two books with the same character? Yes. Yeah. That's like very much a Bendis thing. I feel like. Yes, it is. Um, what if, um, oh, I had a name. It doesn't really seem like she's doing stuff at DC now. So maybe this ship is like already passed, but like Kelly Sue DeConnick on Batman. Oh, Kelly Sue hasn't done anything in a while there, but that's not a bad call. Yeah. Um, what about Vita Ayala? Yeah. I could I could see that actually. Um Vita has been doing a lot of um like Gotham adjacent stuff. Yes. Um Yeah, that would be interesting. How far of a leap is like Joel Jones on the main <laughs> Batman book? <laughs> I mean, if you want to get one and a half issues out of her drawing and writing before uh you I mean, if she, I could see her just writing it, um, but also I feel like she's probably pretty busy with Wonder, with Girl, Wonder Girl. Yeah, right now it's it seems uh, like just checking my own work here. The Batgirl story by Mar- Marguerite Bennett was from last month's Urban Legends issue five. Okay, it was the uh, Steph and Cass story. Um, but yeah. I see here's the thing I feel like Tanyan did such a good job at sort of connecting Gotham together and using Gotham as like one very clear setting that everybody was having fun playing in I just hope that whoever comes in is able to keep that feel because I've really enjoyed the bat status quo lately. Yeah, he's made Gotham like as a whole really interesting again. And like the status quo in Gotham, I think, which hasn't really been a thing in a while. Like I know Tom King, like he had the like Reign of Bane or whatever. Um City of <laughs> City of Bane, that's what it was called. But like <laughs> the that Bane wasn't Reign. The Bane <laughs> that wasn't like an interesting status quo. Like we didn't really get to explore any of that other than like villains like in control of stuff um yeah i just i hope we keep getting like more of like the trio of bruce and harley and ghost ghost not ghost face killer that's not his name <laughs> what's his name ghost maker ghost maker yeah um well there's ghost maker there's clown hunter i, I often call one of them or both of them ghost hunter but yeah. just combining the two names so yeah yeah uh ghost facers that's a that's a supernatural thing i think um (laughs) yeah i just i i just hope it stays good um i would love i i kind of hope jorge Jimenez stays on the book maybe with whoever comes on um he's doing great work but I i also wouldn't mind if he went and did something different either um it'll be interesting to see what is in the December solicits. Yeah, which we won't get until end of September. Yeah. So um I imagine right. they'll probably announce it before then though. Uh well unless they're scrambling. Unless they're unless they're scrambling, yeah. And we, we get like a fill in thing. Um yeah. yeah. All right. Well uh before we get to this week's comics, I Zach has not watched all of it yet, so we're gonna keep it kind of spoiler free, but we felt like we should do a little bit of a Suicide Squad wrap up. I watched it today. Um, Alexander has watched it. Uh, I my review is this. I, I think that one of the things that we talk about 
with the Suicide Squad and maybe some of the failures of recent Suicide Squad runs, not counting Tom Taylor's run, is the, this idea of you're talking about a team that by its nature needs to be disposable, but you don't really feel like any of these characters are ever going to die. And I feel like this film did a really good job of balancing the like, you can't kill everybody all at once, obviously, but balance the sort of danger inherent in the Suicide Squad. And it did that with a film with a lot of humor and like some crazy over the top violence. But um, our, uh, our our Michael Mazakane re- reviewed it for Multiversity, and he I, I wanted to pull up a quote we were texting about the film before, and he said, um, uh, "Where is it? Oh, there there is a chaotic glee to that movie that I appreciate, and I feel like chaotic glee is a good way to put it." Um, Alexander, I know you had like one very specific criticism of it so why don't you talk about that for a minute sure and and you know it's like i do have to say kind of like overall um you know there there isn't you know it 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 definitely um has some good and some bad it's it's really hard for me to come down you know like on on one side or the other um you know but my my main point on it was definitely that it was a little bit too violent um you know without enough of a purpose and it i i just feel like you know in some cases there was maybe more characterization to be had before um you know some of the plot developments happened so i i i definitely can't you know say that it's all good or it's all bad but I just think there's maybe some missed potential, you know, that there's some fun moments from other Suicide Squad runs, or, or maybe there's some noir, noir elements from other Suicide Squad runs. And it just, in, in my opinion, I just don't think it had the balance quite right, um, which I just kind of, you know, a little bit of a bummer there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's also, if you if you don't have a stomach for violence, like my wife asked if, if I thought she would enjoy this movie. Hang on. My wife uh, asked if she would enjoy the movie. And I said, like, well, you'll enjoy John Cena in his underwear. You'll enjoy the like, there's a lot of funny moments, but I don't think she could handle some of the violence in the movie um, just because she's not. She doesn't appreciate that typically in films. And I feel like there's not just one scene with extreme violence. There's, you know, 10 scenes with extreme violence. So right. and um, and not all of it, like, you know, I think it's one thing when you see like a a clear super villain being beat up on versus just like dude who you watch his leg get broken in three places, you know, those type of things. Um, I'm like all for that, but I really think that like your story has to allow for that or else maybe you're just going for the cheapest, most obvious move, mm -hmm. which like after like guardians of the galaxy two, I was a little concerned about James Gunn leaning too much into like those obvious jokes. Zach and is I, getting Zach is getting his retort ready here, by the way. I'm not getting him. a retort ready. <laughs> I, I am the, I am the Guardians of the Galaxy two boy. Yes. Um, but I am very willing to entertain criticisms of that film. I mean, yeah, like I'll I'll quickly finish my point here. 
I maybe want to see James Gunn like tell a more kind of stripped back like superhero story that kind of has like more noir elements. Like I want to see him kind of like restrained in his storytelling a little bit. And I want to see kind of what kind of movie he can make like maybe under some limitations or something. You know, I think he might be a little too bombastic with his scripts and his direction. I think that's a fair point. Um, I, I also I also wonder if this is just who the guy is. And, you know, because I, I felt myself at a certain point saying that there's one thing in particular that I'm not going to talk about uh, for fear of spoilers, but like there, there, there's one moment in the movie where I felt like there was an actual, like very shocking surprise that happened there. And then it kind of doesn't have any impact on the plot afterwards. And I was like, that, that surprise should have led the film down a path that it didn't necessarily go. Um, but then I thought like, well, I don't know if any of Gunn's films would have taken that route. I don't know if that's like a DC problem or if that's just like a gun problem. Does that make sense? I, no, I but I'm, I'm sure I'll understand what you're talking about when I watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I know where you're coming from and I think I might agree. Okay. Anyway, let's take a break and when we return, we'll talk about the five spotlight books for this week. So stay tuned. Hello, denizens of Earth 1218. We're the hosts of Make Mind Multiversity, a twice-monthly podcast, and it is I, Jake, the Taskmaster One. And I'm Elias, the Bendis One. Make Mind Multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month, we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into the X-Books of the recent-ish months, and sometimes that means figuring out which series is our monthly heavyweight champion. Sometimes we even have lists. And other times we have book clubs on Marvel series, past and present. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday. Excelsior. Excelsior indeed. And we are back. So let's dig into these books. We've got Batman Secret Files, Clown Hunter, written by Ed Brisson, illustrated by Rosie Campe. Campe? I don't know how to pronounce that name. I'm always bad at this. Um... So these Secret Files books have been uh, an interesting conversation for us on the show because they're all oversized and they all feel like bloated. They all feel like they could have been trimmed down to sort of a regular sized book. I actually think that this one felt the least bloated and felt like the most consistently told story of these Secret Files books so far. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this before that. I just want to say, fuck yeah, Gotham Academy appearing in this book. <laughs> I have some stuff to say about that. But Alexander, you, you're you the guest. You go first. Um, yeah, so I this is actually the first one of these I've read. Um, but I was really impressed with this. Um, you know, and the, when I was first reading it, I was really worried that it was going to seem like too cliche, uh, you know, because we kind of got like, like a little bit of like a darker narrative, you know, over in, in the Gotham Academy. I mean, there's like a crazy amount of like fighting in this book. And I really just like, didn't think it was going to have a point. I didn't think it was going to have like much of a plot or that it would tie together. But man, I just think that Ed Brisson really used like, uh, you know, these, these two, uh, you know, disparate narratives um, to tell like a really great story and actually like, the violence between like both um, of, of the two sequences 
really kind of like melded like into each other. And I just found like for, you know, just a random, you know, one shot Batman issue that this was really like artfully written. And um, I, I definitely like the art as well. It kind of has um, a tie to what Jorge Jimenez is doing in the main Batman book. Um, you know, there just seems to be like a lot of energy kind of a manga influence. And again, I just feel like um, you're never going to be bored reading this. There's like so much great, uh, you know, like, like physicality. Uh, there's just so many great fights and um, really like the addition of um, punchline here as well. I just think that Brisson even got her characterization really right um, too. And, and her just, uh, you know, mocking uh, Clown Hunter, I thought was a little bit devastating, <laughs> especially like towards like the back half of the issue when, uh, you know, the violence really spurs out of control. But, um, and I, I, I really like the, you know, the, the cameo at the, at the end of the book too. I don't know if we want to give that away. Yeah, we're uh, a spoiler show. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. I always think Red Hood is lame. And I think the only context where you can really like redeem Red Hood is by sticking him with like somebody younger. And I just think that DC needs to like commit to this like status quo because it has a ton of potential. I don't know, like in my opinion. Curious to hear what you guys think. Zach, go ahead. Well, I hate to like follow up all of that because i just i i kind of I just thought that like this was okay um i i wasn't i wasn't particularly wound by it um brian you know you talked about like the secret files uh, you know was kind of critiquing the oversized nature of them and and i really kind of thought that the gotham academy stuff like cool as it was to get a gotham academy uh callback i, th I thought that that was like kind i thought that that was this issues padding um the way that it kept cutting back to you know it, it it served a purpose like like alexander said in in kind of um forming like a a mirror with the present day plot um but i i don't know i just didn't think a lot of that was super necessary you know like we have a scene where oh he beats a, you know he he retaliates against a bully in the gotham academy section and then a bunch of bullies show up and then we cut back to the present and what do you know a bunch of clowns show up and and it, it just kind of felt a little extraneous to me i i, I kind of wish that it was just maybe one or the other I don't know. I, I wasn't like blown away by it. I did really like the Jason Todd stuff at the end and, and his dynamic. Um, I really thought we were going to get a tagline at the end revealing that um, Clown Hunter was going to join Task Force Z uh, with Red Hood. Oh. <laughs> um, I really thought that that's where it was going, um, but it didn't. Although it may, it may yet, who knows? Um, and I, I agree. I did like the punchline stuff. I, I like how she was kind of, uh, she, how, how Brisson wove her into this. Um, I really like how, you know, she's one of those tiny creations that I really like how, um, you know, she's being utilized. I like how she's kind of being set up as this heir to the Joker, this new, um, 
kingpin who's controlling things from prison it's a it's a really cool status quo for her um and, and i did a lot i did like a lot of like her dialogue and the idea that you know if clown hunter was uh turning his aggression somewhere else they would be supporting him um which kind of you know signifies that even you know even she she's not on the side of the villains she's on her own side which is kind of interesting but i i still wasn't like wowed by the issue overall i guess um as usual i fall somewhere in between you guys i um i really liked the art in this i couldn't help but wish it was james stoko after his past work with clown hunter but I thought that Compi did a really good job of, of sort of nailing the, the tone that Stoko has established, if not necessarily visually resembling what Stoko has done. Um, I thought the Gotham Academy stuff, Zach, I definitely understand what you're saying with the sort of the, the padding out with the Gotham Academy stuff. I think that's true. But I think that Clown Hunter is a character that, maybe needs a little more um how can i put this i think any anything you can do to help that character attain some empathy from the reader is a good thing because the character is so brutal so i think that giving a situation where you can clearly empathize what he's going through has value in the in the story even if i do think that there was a little bit too much of that i loved 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 the red hood thing at the end i thought that was really good and i wonder if i know zach you said about task force z i wonder though if this will wind up being something that will be the red hood maybe status quo after task force z is that an ongoing do we know that i think it is an ongoing i may that may not be right um but i kind of think it is let me let me check um, but regardless, I, I do think it's a cool, I, I think it's a really well, I think basically the only way to make Jason, you know, we talked last, I, it was, I guess it was you guys talking with Walter when I was off the show last week mm-hmm. uh, about how, like, it, if you take away the tension with Bruce, then Jason is just like lesser Dick Grayson or lesser uh, Tim Drake or any of the other Robins, you know, his his whole thing is both, you know, I've been dead and I'm the wild card, right? So if you take those away, I understand why there may not be a ton left for writers to dig into. But if you give him a sort of younger, m- even more radical sidekick, I think all of a sudden that gives Jason a whole lot of depth. It gives him a, a really a really good and... Um, unique spot within the bat family like they're, they're really I, I know right now we're getting barbara gordon kind of mentoring the, the two young batgirls but we don't have like batman doesn't really have a robin right now there isn't really a young character who is the sidekick and so you know with tanyan leaving batman maybe the batman book becomes a red hood book for a little while and it's Red Hood and Clown Hunter. I would that'd be that'd be wacky. It'd be um, wacky, but I'd love it. it. It does look like Task Force C is an ongoing. Okay, that's also wacky. Yeah, it um, is. But that's a whole other story. Um, any other Clown Hunter stuff before we move on? 
you know, I do kind of agree with like what what Zach was saying. It's like it, it's almost like we're missing some characterization from like those Gotham Academy scenes. Like we probably should see this character have like a supporting cast now, and he like he yes. should be a little more fleshed out than like what he is. And you would think like this is the kind of issue that would do it. <laughs> That's so... very true. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, hopefully there's an outlet for that. Hopefully there's an outlet for this. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of potential in this, but it just needs to keep going. I and mean, we just need to see this clown hunter character develop further. I mean, the good news is that there has never been more opportunity for these characters between the backups in the like monthly books and the anthology book that's out there. Like there is a space for a clown hunter story. Hmm. I just hope they use that space well. Yeah, I, I do feel like there was like, some movement in his arc in this where he's at least like contemplating the idea that you know maybe like maybe killing is bad you know yeah so that that i mean that was it wasn't just a, a one note one shot you know yes it, and, it actually with, moved the needle a little bit and with um with red hood giving up his guns at the end of the urban legend story Mm-hmm. It feels like this is a perfect time for him to be working with a younger character to to build something like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, the issue itself might not have been my favorite, but I like what the, what it represents, sort of what it where Clown Hunter lies within Gotham right now. I, agreed. I think my biggest issues with it are just the the issues I've had with the format of the secret files in general mm-hmm. so far. I wonder if these would play better if these were the backups in Detective or something like that. Sure, probably. Yeah, there's just so many of them that they can't. Yeah, exactly. They can't do it all. (laughs) Yeah. All right, well, let's jump over to The Flash, number 773, written by Jeremy Adams, illustrated by Will Conrad. Um, So I'm the Wally West boy. Everyone knows that. so I, I, I love this <laughs> as I've been loving this run so far. I will also say this is, I don't want to say this is the good Will Conrad because no, I, still I think, think it is. This is as good of Will Conrad as we've gotten in a while. Yeah. On, on, on a DC book, at least. Uh, so Zach, why don't you start us off with this? Talk about this book. Um, I, I liked this a lot too, actually. It was really fun. Um, it was very concise um i thought that it was well paced i i thought the stuff with wally in his job was very fun i thought the stuff with him and heat wave was very touching um again we get kind of that fun space interlude hinting at uh something that's going to be coming later down the line and um also get an, an early, another tease about yellow lantern jessica cruz which is like the worst kept secret at this point it feels like you know because we still like haven't gotten that annual um the annual is so delayed that everything uh it's just spoilers everywhere yeah 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 um but yeah i just i I really liked this issue a lot the wally's just kind of like wally's kind of a himbo a little bit you know um jeremy adams is definitely good has has definitely like souped up the himbo-ness yeah it's funny because i've never like really had that reading on wally but i think it fits a bit um you 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 might have different opinions i don't know um 
but yeah, I, I, I like this quite a bit. Alexander, what'd you think of this? I actually got caught up on this entire run over the weekend. Okay. Um, and I am honestly like every issue, like including this one has like really been, um, you know, something special to me. Like it's been really cool to just kind of see Wally like return to kind of what he was like, I, I think like maybe last year, the year before that, I had the chance to read like the majority of um, Mark Wade's run on on the series. Mm-hmm. And I, I like finally feel like a return to that. Like, you know, it, I, I feel like this isn't completely serious. Like it's not completely dark. And it just like I, I wasn't reading comics like when that run came out. But just the fact that like I can still feel like, um, you know, kind of like that before like infinite crisis era like energy like just really kind of like has me excited uh, and you know there's also um you know there's some great characterization for for heat wave in here it's i think it's kind of subtle um I, I don't really think it's like too over the top and like you really kind of feel for him and you know i think it kind of echoes maybe what jeff johns was doing like a little bit with like some of the rogues but it to me like this doesn't really feel like too um you know derivative of of what came before um i just think there's so much here i really like how um you know jeremy adams is like using like the greater dc universe and kind of you know i really appreciated like how his mr terrific is so kind um it it really just kind of um you know it, it it's 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 such like a like a fine balance of of so many different elements here and i just think it's paced really really well it's really enjoyable it's easy to read through uh i've i've yeah i thought this was great uh just curious were you not reading this run because just you're busy and there's only so much time in the day to read or was there something that turned you off from the flash before this so that's definitely part of it uh the other part of it where where the covers were just like a little weird (laughs) (laughs) um and then also it's like just I, I was worried that this was going to continue in the vein of, of like um, Heroes in Crisis. I, I was worried that it was going to like, you know, kind of like continue that weird like flash forward and like Dark Knight's metal stuff, but or Dark Knight's death metal. But this this just feels like like something completely different and just kind of like a return to uh you know, like runs that, that came before, but in in a fresh way that just, I don't think feels too derivative of other things. And it just, I don't feel like it was advertised as that, <laughs> especially because of those odd covers. So I, when I actually opened the comic book, I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think that part of it was that they didn't want us to know in the early days of the solicits that this was going to be a Wally book. Uh-huh. And so they kind of had to tamp down some of the Wally expectations when those initial solicits were being released. But I think that the like that that first big arc with Wally sort of lost in time, I think that that is, if that had better art, that would have been talked about like it was one of the great books of the year. Mm-hmm. But because the art was not as fantastic, it, it kind of got lost in the mix a little bit. Um, so I love it. I love particularly Wally's relationship with the rogues. Wally and the Rogues have always had a very um, 
they're not friends, but there's sort of a mutual respect there. And the rogues were always like they didn't kill. They were they were crooks and Wally would get frustrated with them, but wouldn't like necessarily they weren't like his arch nemesis. They were just guys in town that kind of bugged him. If any, if either of you have seen the Justice League Unlimited uh, Flash Day episode, I feel like that's the perfect. And I believe Mark Wade has something to do with that episode. Um, but that is like, that's the perfect distillation of Wally and the rogues to me. Where like he sees, I think it's Trickster at the bar and knows he's off his medication and tries to like get him some help. Like that's just who Wally and the rogues are. And so this very much fit into that characterization of, of Wally and the rogues. You know, just Heat Wave wasn't, you know, he, he's in a desperate place and that's why he was acting the way he was. And I think that the, the book did a really good job of sort of explaining you know, why he was doing what he was. And so I I really enjoyed that. Um, I like the stuff at the day job a lot. My one note, and this is a very small note, is I do hope that we start to see um, Linda and the kids having more to do in this book because those characters have been gone for so long that I think we just need to start giving them more of a spotlight. So hopefully they're a bigger part of some future arcs here. Um, I was a little disappointed at the end um, because I, I kind of was hoping that maybe Heat Wave would have like kind of maybe supporting role status in this book moving forward. But then, you know, we get the reveal that he 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 got Amanda Wallard and now he's going to be in Suicide Squad and he's going to be in Swamp Thing, I guess, for a bit. Not to say that he can't, like still play a role in this book but i, I it's really i just kind of cringe anytime a hero or not a hero any anytime a character gets suicide squatted at this point you know like it's like oh they're pulling them into suicide squad that's like a literal that's a literal death now for a character <laughs> um, yeah i agree with that it would have been fun to have him stick around the book a little bit yeah all right, up next is Shazam number two, written by Tim Sheridan, illustrated by Clayton Henry. Um, so uh, Tim Sheridan and I had an email going about something else, and he said to me that this was his favorite issue of the Shazam miniseries that he wrote. I'm really curious as to what you guys thought of this, because I'm just going to say this was not my favorite issue of this miniseries. I'm not saying I didn't like it, but I just felt... I'll get to it in a minute. Alexander, what'd you think of this issue? I really liked it. Um, I thought that this should have been like really, really cheesy and bad, <laughs> um, you know, with like Shazam, you know, entering like, you know, the, the under realm, but I kind of thought the characterization was, you know, pretty honest. Um, I just, I like all these like casino sequences. Um, you know, I thought the art here was, was really good. <laughs> I, I feel like I don't have anything to say um, negative about, you know, like any, any of these books. Like, I'm just glad to have, um, you know, Shazam book, um, you know, back in, 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 you know, print again. I, you know, the, the one thing that maybe I could criticize here is that it's a little weird that this is kind of like a four issue run and this is taking like such a big diversion it's like, you know, we don't know, um, like we're, we're like halfway through this, this title at the end. And we just kind of like, don't know like where it's going to be headed next or kind of like where it falls, like in the greater, um, you know, DC universe. 
And um, oh, I also need to shout out Clayton Henry before I stop here, because I feel like this is even better than some of the Valiant books that I've seen before. Uh, I, I really think like his line work is even more kind of like clean and, and elegant that I've seen um, in, in the past for him from him. I think he's kind of like stepping up here. I really like his, um, you know, all the big character expressions that, that, that he has too. Uh, you know, for all these various like Underrealm characters and how like, um, you know, Shazam is, is, is playing off of that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's where I'm at with this book. What do you guys think? Zach? Um, it's funny that you talk about a book that has four issues and we're halfway through and we don't really know where it's going to go because um, we have two books like that tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm kind of, I kind of agree with you, Brian. This wasn't like, my favorite issue like compared to other like comparing like to the first issue and to to teen titans academy um just in general um i thought it was i thought it was like okay um it was really fun like i i really don't have anything bad to say about it it was i mean the dialogue was snappy and fun the setting is cool the art is good i just i just ultimately like wasn't wowed by it i was like okay yeah this is a this is a good next chapter um and i i do kind of i like how it fits into like the greater teen titans academy you know thing with with kind of fleshing out dane a little bit um you know anytime we get to learn more about you know these characters i'm, I'm here for it um I, but mostly I think I just thought like, yeah, this is a, this is a fine transition issue. Yes. So I, I do want to say that there are a couple of great things about this. I really like Clayton Henry's work. I'm glad Alexander shouted him out. He's been doing really good work on this book and deserves all the accolades for what he's been doing. So definitely glad that we're getting Clayton Henry work on this book. I also think it was really good. So I was afraid that Dane was going to wind up being a, an antagonistic character that he was going to like basically turn on Billy in the underworld. And I'm glad that's not the case that he is. He is not an evil character. He is still, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure technically you might you might uh, classify him as evil based on like his physiology or whatever. But he is he is there to help Billy. And I really enjoyed that um, that piece of it because I think oftentimes characters that are set up in this way seem like they're set up just to be the turncoat. So I was glad that wasn't the case here. Um, I also, and this is like totally me being a pedant, but whatever, I am who I am. I love the fact that they referenced that Billy has been to hell before <laughs> and like a number of times. We, we were doing our crisis management stuff. Like we we read a couple of books where Billy wound up in hell temporarily. So, you know, I'm glad they, I, I'm glad that Sheridan is keeping, keeping with, you know, making this very much a part of the greater sort of Shazam Captain Marvel narrative and not just like a, a set alone story. The thing about this issue that I didn't appreciate so much is just one of omission which is I thought that the idea of Freddie Freeman dying and that being the motivating factor for Billy to sort of get to the bottom of his powers so he could cure him is a really, really compelling story to tell. And I feel like this issue 
did nothing to further Billy's like it just realistically, if your best friend was dying and you had to go to hell to try to save him, like I feel like there'd be so much stress you'd be under because you're worried about your friend. And I feel like this just went a little bit light on the stress aspect of it. Whereas I feel like that's an important piece of the story is Billy is racing against the clock to save his best friend. And I wish that that was more included in here. Cause I think that would add to the overall um, just tone of the story. Yeah. I think this issue does feel like really disconnected from that. Like first um, one it's it like, the characterization in that was really like kind of like straightforward and honest. And this is like a little kind of like zany and, and, and wacky. And I kind of wanted them to, to maybe like have less supernatural elements or kind of like take on like these supernatural elements, like, like slower in order for the issues to kind of have more of a through line. So I think we're definitely kind of sacrificing like some of those elements, you know, so we can get to this part of the narrative so early in the story. And I think that's a little problematic. I also understand that. I I, I mean, I, I have no insider knowledge about this at all. This is just me sort of seeing how comics work over my you know years of reading and writing about them, that this is sort of in a way, a pilot for a future Shazam ongoing. And so you kind of have to highlight like you can do this with the character. You can do this with the character. He can be heartfelt and a family man. He can be a zany teenager. He can he can be with the supernatural. He can, you know, and so I, I understand the idea of like creating a a wide palette for Billy's to ha- for Billy to have stories on so you so that DC slash the readers can see what a Billy book would look like going forward. Um, all right, but let's let's move on. We have two more books to talk about, and I think they're going to be very different conversations. Uh, first one is Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number three, written by Tom King, illustrated by Bilquis Evely. Now, Alexander, I don't think that you're as as down on Tom King as, as Zach and I are. Would you say that's accurate? No, <laughs> I would not. <laughs> okay, well, then, uh, then this is going to be a really short conversation. Uh, what the hell is this book, guys? Uh, it's literally just true grit i saw people when this book came out say like tom king was doing true grit and i was like oh okay but then i read it i caught up on it i was like oh he he literally is he's just doing true grit like i can hear the the actress who who played um uh, Haley steinfeld from the like 2010 mm-hmm. true grit reading every line for this like young alien girl character I, I definitely agree with that. I think there's a huge issue with the characterization here. I mean, it's like, it's it's almost a little embarrassing for me. It's like, we can't go like an issue of this book without having like um, Kara do something I just like fundamentally disagree with or don't think that, you know, like Superman, you know, should be doing like, you know, like the 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 first issue, like she smashed someone's like face in like in a drunken bar fight. The 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 second one, she like all she said the f word in like the second issue, and like and and then in this one, she gets like upset, so she like blows a house of cards down with like her like super breath, and it's just like 
you know, Tom King is using like Bill Quiz Evely, who I think is just one of like the greatest artists, you know, in, in, in comics to like tell a story that just does not comprehend like its main character or like who it is like supposed to represent. It's like, you know, if this wasn't using Supergirl, it, it would probably be a better comic book, you know? My, I wrote this in all caps in my notes. I said, why is this part of Infinite Frontier? This is a black label book. Like this is this is absolutely an out of time, out of place Supergirl story. It's not touching any other book. I don't think it will touch any other book or character throughout the whole thing. It's going to kill off crypto. Although I, I doubt, I think that there's going to be a, a last minute save with that. Oh, I think they're going to save crypto. Yeah, uh, but sure. like, but all these things seem like black label uh, accoutrement. And yet it's in this, it's supposed to be part of this infinite frontier line. And I think it sticks out like a sore thumb. I think Bilkless Evely is so wasted on this book. The whole second issue, she basically has to draw like Supergirl sitting down on a train. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Come on. Like, let's let's let her go crazy. And oh, this is I don't know. Trains are cool. Well, it's a it's a space train. It's, it's you know, I'm I feel so I may I, I mean, I think this book is dumb. I kind of made fun of the fact that it is just like doing true grit. Um, there, there was just way too much dialogue. I kind of like this book a little bit. Oh, Zach. <laughs> I I hate to admit it, but I was like getting into the plot a little bit, but there's just so many other things I don't yeah. like about it that I'm not willing to like buy into it yeah. 100%. There, there's a lot of stuff I don't like. And I mean, like, I am hypercritical of Tom King. And sometimes I like, you know, I have to I really have to sit back and wonder if like another writer that I liked was doing something similar to this, would I be, would I go easier on it? And it, there were times where I definitely thought like, yeah, I, pr I probably would like let it slide a bit. But I think the dialogue is just like kind of egregious at, at some points. Um, I, I sent Brian um, a screenshot from the second issue where like in the narration, the, the, the girl character, but I feel like it's King speaking through the, the female character. She's like, um, I, I won't, you know, I, I, won't go into any you know further explanation of these types of stories in case in fear of my prose going growing stale um and i'm like oh no it's already happened it's too late <laughs> um but i do kind of like the plot sort of i i like the idea behind the plot i like um this character ruthie or, or ruth ruthie <laughs> I know it's, it's probably not Ruthie. Um, I, I like her relationship with Kara. Um, and I like the art so much. The art is is beautiful, especially I think in this issue, the third issue. Um, just the scenes in this, this, uh, this city, Maypole, it, it looks so good. And, and I think I, I've, you know, good art can save the worst book in in my opinion um and and this is i i wouldn't even say this is like the worst thing king has ever done so i'm i'm kind of it's it's kind of a slog to get through but i mostly am kind of positive on it i think oh i'm so down on this book <laughs> um it's it is a chore to read because it's all narration or it's 90 percent narration whatever 
it's narration about characters and worlds I don't give a shit about because King hasn't made me give a shit about them. Um, Kara's dialogue is so out of character. And I know, I know you have to let the writer create their own version of the character. She's 20 to one now, Brian. Come on. <laughs> yeah, she she suddenly loves to loves to swear and loves to uh loves I to... mean I, I started that's about when I started to love swearing. So I mean I think it listeners to this pod, I think listeners to this podcast will, will say you like to learn swear you love to learn swearing at about 2018 or so because that's when your uh your potty mouth really started on the show. Um but no, it it just it just seems like there's a um there's a disconnect between what this book is supposed to be and what it is and what it actually is. And I just find it a real slog to get through. I don't care about any of this. I don't see any of this mattering. Vince and I have been on this kick about caring more about the meta narrative than the actual narrative. And this is going to have oh, I no, see, and I, you know, I don't care at all about the meta narrative. Right. It doesn't matter. And I feel like this is going to have no impact on the meta narrative at all. Yeah. Um, um, I, I did think like, I couldn't, I really couldn't decide what I thought about the blues and purples thing in this. I thought it was <sighs> bad. I mean, yeah, I don't want to disparage it because the idea behind it is good, but I thought it was done in like the most juvenile and like shallow way possible. I think it was like a little creepy when she was first like checking in. Was it the hotel that she was at? um and i i thought like there like there was like legitimately like some some tension built up there in 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 like that sequence i i don't think yeah. this book is all bad and i think this is the best issue it's just that when you read this you know you kind of have to really like suspend your disbelief or else you're not going to have like a very good time at all because it's almost like this is just not a supergirl book this is like you know maybe like xena warrior princess or just like something else you know yeah well i liked i i agree i think the like tone was was really interesting and good but then when it's like revealed that this is kind of just like a very a, a very like surface level critique on like class and race relations and it it just felt a little cheap i guess yeah yeah, I think mm. that's the word. I, I, it felt cheap. Um, so. I agree with all of that. All right, that brings us to our final book of the week, which is Superman and the Authority, number two, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Michael Janine, Fico Osio, Evan Cagle, and Travel Foreman. So. I'm going to let you guys talk about this because you guys are, are, are going to be, I think, higher on this than I was, even though I enjoyed this issue a lot. Oh, Brian hated it. No, I didn't. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to say. This don't, is what the don't let him trick you. This is what the first issue should have been. No. Yes. No, we needed that first issue. I would have been happy with half that first issue and half of this issue. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> go off this is the best i love this this was so good um this is a very interesting this is like this is like the complete opposite of what the first issue was because the the janine um superman and uh manchester black stuff is kind of more a framing narrative um 
we do get some like pretty fun bits uh i i really like the opening pages with them um i i think alexander alluded to this off air i think manchester black's characterization and dialogue here is is just really good i think morrison has it down pat um but then we have all these different artists doing kind of um uh kind of like almost like one shot looks at the different characters who are going to make up this authority team and each of the stories is is very fun um the art i think is really good especially in the midnight or apollo story yes that is just like gorgeous art and i and i really like the i'm i mostly like foreman's art and the enchantress one as well the the uh natasha iron's one i think is a little bit more just kind of like traditional what you would expect from cape comics not that it's not good it's just like not as different as the others but i i almost like that story the best because of it has some of the like most morrisonian high concept dialogue um the body shaming robots or whatever (laughs) yeah yeah or like uh, like threats materializing from data space femtotech reconfiguring available matter internet made manifest that's just like trademark morrison um and it's kind of i mean it's kind of goofy it's a little cheesy like i think a lot of at their core i think a lot of morrisonian ideas kind of are a little tongue-in-cheek cheesy um but it's it's really fun i liked it i i loved every second of this i thought this issue was really good The, the only complaint that i i could maybe really level against it is is kind of what alexander said about shazam is that we're halfway through and the team isn't actually even all the way together yet we don't really know like what the point of this book is or what which the is why is this should have be. been the first issue but i i really don't i i don't think so i think it's going to be fine in the end i think it's going to be a beautiful singular work um i i trust i trust in grant alexander what do you think uh, I, I really have to agree with Zach here. I mean, I just, I thought this was so much fun. Um, you know, it's funny. I think last time I was on the show, we were like discussing Seven Soldiers. And I think the more I kind of look through this, the more I start to see um, kind of like some echoes of that, especially like in, in the way we have kind of like a uh, framing device tying everything together. And then we get to, um, you know, like all these um, disparate stories and I also really like, Zach, what you were saying about, like, some of these ideas being cheesy. I almost think that they are. Like, you know, like, these idea, like this idea of, like, edgelords and, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like all those concepts or, like, the, the body-shaming trolls. And I, I can tell you, though, I think what makes this not cheesy is how Grant Morrison just throws so many different ideas on the page. He never really lets um, one idea get stale. And I think it's just like even more fun when your, you know, superhero narrative is like really high concept, like really meta, but then it's playing with something like literally as stupid as like the Edgelord's Eternal. Um, You know, I think we continue to get like some really fun Manchester Black stuff. And I just think that that has such an interesting like dichotomy that I think it does. I don't know if this is your definition of a meta narrative, Brian, but I almost think like there's kind of like, uh, you know, like 
Grant Morrison is trying to like make you um like like jar like like jarring like between like all these different scenes by by just randomly throwing you know like like some sort of like authority character or some sort of like DC character and then just pulling the rug out from under you and then returning to um the scene with um Superman and uh, you know Manchester Black and I just um you know I think the the interesting part too is how kind of every single little one of these like B or 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 C stories they at least have like some sort of idea or or some sort of like interesting concept that that wasn't on the last page so you know i really just appreciate you know how this kind of kept me guessing like all the way through to the to the final page um i i really like how like on the very last page of the book, we get like a more traditional like travel form and page too. And it kind of like brings you into the next chapter. And it's it's just crazy how much this issue gets done in, you know, the space of like, however, you know, many 30, what, 33 pages that, that are in this. I mean, yeah, I, I, I definitely see what you guys are saying about how this seems disconnected from the previous issue. Maybe there was, you know, not enough plot in the previous issue. And then this one is just jam packed with plot, but man, I sure had a lot of fun with this. Yeah. I mean, I thought this was really good. I liked all of the, um, the sort of uh, like little vignettes of the various members of the team coming together. That is Brian Nip. I love that stuff. I really enjoyed even the even though I, I I do not care for Manchester Black as a character, I thought that he was played well here by Morrison. I think he did a good. He was used well, you know, uh, in, in this in this particular issue, and you know, overall, I, I have I have no I have no gripe with this. I just wish the first issue had some of this plot, like you said, Alexander, and maybe this had a little bit more room to breathe, like the first issue did. I think when when this is eventually collected, I think it will read much better than it than it currently is in singles. Um, I also I won't be surprised if this like I think it'll tell a complete ish story, but we already know that this team is showing up in action comics after this and so i i kind of really feel like this will just be like setting the stage for that but i wonder like how how is old man superman a part of that right i mean he's like he's on is he's on the cover of that issue right am i wrong i don't remember now i don't either i'd have to double check um what uh I did so I, I didn't remember seeing Evan Cagle art before. Um, that's who did the Midnight or Apollo story. Mm-hmm. Um, Cagle did that issue of Catwoman recently that I oh, wasn't yes. on, but you and Vince, I think, raved about. It was um it was issue thirty-two. Yes. Um really, really great work. Um honestly probably the best art in the issue i think even though i think the janine stuff is really good too i mean janine didn't have as much to do in this issue yeah so that's part of it yeah it's still really good um oh i'm meant to be i was looking up 
actually, I had the October DC solicits pulled up uh-huh. and I was kind of like looking through Superman to kind of see what you guys were talking about. In Action Comics 1036 has Apollo, Midnighter, Manchester Black, Steel. Um, and it looks like it, it starts a new arc called the War World Saga. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it has. So it does have everybody on there, but Superman looks like current young, right? Superman, not old man Superman. I'm sure that will be addressed somehow. Yeah, we'll see. We we will see. Um, well, Vince is not here for me to call on him to tell us what comes out next week. So I actually pulled up what comes out next week. So um, these are the comics coming out on. August 24th or 23rd, I guess it is for uh, for DC's releases. We have Action Comics 1034, Batman Reptilian number three, Batman Superman 21, Checkmate number three, Detective Comics 1042, Harley Quinn number six, Icon and Rocket season one number two, Infinite Frontier number five, getting close to the end of that series, Robin number five, Superman 78 number one, uh, Superman Son of Kal-El number two, Superman versus Lobo, number one, Teen Titans Academy six, Wonder Girl three, and Wonder Woman seven seventy eight. Gosh, that's a stacked week. There is so much to talk about oh, that week. Gosh, how are we even gonna pick? That's I don't gonna know. be a big episode. Yeah, that is gonna be a big one. Um, and we have other stuff to record that night too, so maybe we'll have to be very judicious about this. Mm-hmm. What other stuff are we talking about, Zach? I don't. Are we talking about that yet? No, we're just we're still still teasing it. So I'm just. I'm just laying another tease here. Okay. September 1st, though. Uh, yeah. September 1st. September 1st. Um, anyway, Alexander, thank you so much for coming on the show. We, re- we always like having you on. Um, where can folks find you on the internet if they want to know more about you? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, you can find me at, at Alex and Comics on Twitter. And Alex is one of, Alexander is one of our uh, frequent review writers for Multiversity, so... Every other week, check him out writing about comics of some sort. What, what, what do you have coming out? Or, I guess, what was your most recent written review before this show? <laughs> I should know that. Uh, <laughs> so here, should I me, as your editor, to be fair. Let uh, me look that up right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I actually have it right here. Uh, let's see. You wrote up uh, Suicide Squad, Get Joker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you guys read that? We did. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a thing. It was something. It was. Anyway, thank you to Alexander again. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week. So see you then. I don't even remember what books we're talking about. <laughs>